At Discount Tire, you can shop online and get the same trusted advice you get from the stores. Then just book a time that's convenient for you. When you get to the store, you can stay safe with a new touchless experience. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. When it comes to working at GEICO, our best advocates are our employees, like Maxine. But since she's so focused on growing her career, we hired an actor to read her story. At GEICO, I love mentoring the new associates to help them make this a career and not just a job. And with new opportunities and job stability, GEICO has been helping people grow their careers for over 75 years. The only downside? She still hasn't met the gecko. Where are you, fella? Ready to start your career, Kansas City? We're hiring claim sales and service agents. Apply online today at geico.job slash Kansas City. Welcome to another episode of Kaiju Curry House. I am your host, Joe, and joining me tonight will be Mr. Paul Williams. And unfortunately, as we're all human and we're actual people doing this podcast, uh, Mr. Alex is looking after his kids. So Paul and I have opted to do a favorite film of ours, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, which is the 1954 Universal Classic. And it's about a gill creature in the Amazon. But anyways, Paul, how you doing? I'm good, thanks, Joe. Yeah, um, you know, life, but life goes on. We're, we're doing okay. How about you? We're doing okay. You doing anything cool kaiju-related or monster-related this uh, past week? Well, I've been having my eye on that pretty sweet-looking Defo Real Godzilla 2019, where he's breathing the um, his atomic breath into the air. That looks pretty awesome. I'm assuming you've seen it. I know, and it it lights up too. Yeah, I'm really yeah, trying. The lights I'm up. trying to curb my spending. <laughs> yeah. How much is that thing? I'm more than I should be spending. <laughs> um, I think that if you buy it from uh, the Rick site, it's somewhere around eighty dollars or something like that. I I I don't want to say because I've really looked that much into it. I've been actually trying to not be looking at it. If I look at it enough, I'm probably going to buy it. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good idea then. But, yeah. I just keep seeing posters of it, and I'm thinking, oh, that does... Again, because I, I only bought that Defo Real um, Zilla what, a, a month ago, if that, and I really like that, and so now I might have got the bug. <laughs> yeah. You see, the thing is, they're they're just not as expensive, and they don't take up as much space. Exactly. Which is perfect for me. I'm probably going to get it, though, because, because it lights <laughs> up. I don't have a 2019 Godzilla. I have the uh, I have the NECA big one that roars. Mm. But other than that, I don't have anything substantial for him. And seeing as how, you know, he's the one where all the stuff coming out, you'd think I would. I have a Godzilla Earth figure, but I don't have any Godzilla, to, like, 2014, 2019. I probably should. I'm going to justify it. I should get it, shouldn't I? I? Yeah, I think he deserves to be purchased. Well, my little girl loves the light-up ones anyways, so we might. Well, Who knows? Things to spend money on. Yeah, you can share it. Oh, yeah. So this is the thing, too. Um, past week, I have gone and seen Detective Pikachu, my little girl, and one of the previews featured was the Godzilla King to the Monsters trailer, and it was kind of interesting because... A lot of the trailers for Detective Pikachu, at least where I went and saw it, were pretty boring. And Charlotte was pretty bored with the trailers. Of course, they take like half an hour now when you go to yeah. see a film in the cinema. But uh, Charlotte sat through them quite patiently. And then when Godzilla came on, you know, she lit up. And she's like, Daddy, Daddy, it's Godzilla. <laughs> I know, I know, Charlotte, it's Godzilla. We were just sitting in the back, you know, a five-year-old and a five-year-old at heart, really excited about this film. But there was actually a lot of, like, murmuring and buzz after the trailer when it had been a pretty silent theater. So that was cool. I mean, there's obviously a good uh, amount of interest in it when people go to the cinema. I like Detective Pikachu, by the way. I haven't been a pokey fiend for a while, but Gyarados was in it, and that was all I needed. That was that. 
Ryan Reynolds is Ryan Reynolds. I don't think he changes characters among any of his films, but it was fun to watch. Well, it's a kaiju film, isn't it? They're all strange creatures. Yeah, yeah. As If Alex were here, he would be going on about how they're yokai. <laughs> there was a misdemeanor in it, by the way. If you've listened to our first podcast episode, um, we, we talked in depth about how creepy misdemeanor is. He's a yokai. He's a demon spirit. Alex has explained this to us. But he's not here to argue. But anyways, um, onto the topic at hand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, onto the topic at hand, uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Paul, I got you into this film. You want to explain how that happened? Um, You just bugged me, didn't you, really, to say I should watch it. <laughs> I think it's pretty much how it went. You're like, how have you not seen this film? It's amazing. I'm like, hmm. Yeah, it's a classic. I, you know, it, it is a classic, isn't it? Everyone knows Creature from the Black Lagoon, whether they've seen it or not. But I just, I just hadn't got around to watching it until was it last year? Yeah, it was last yeah. year. Um, for those of us listening who haven't seen the Creature from the Black Lagoon, you can probably purchase it for less than ten pounds in the UK, and that will be the Blu-ray with the 3D version, and it's totally worth it. The other thing is, if you haven't seen it, you don't know about it. The typical typecast fish guy like the uh, anthropomorphized fish man you know the creature coming out of the water that is the creature from the black lagoon all many of these comics or these jokes or this art a lot of it will go will tie back to the creature from the black lagoon which was a very uh iconic universal monster release the universal monsters being you know the wolfman frankenstein the mummy things like that and the creature, in my opinion, holds the uh, best design for all of those uh, monsters that Universal was releasing. They did a slew of them. I think it was like the 1930s up into the 1954, which is when Creature was released. He was actually the last new monster, as it were. Yeah, really awesome film. But uh, you've probably seen bits of the creature or you've seen that design somewhere. But yeah, I mean, the shape of water is pretty much that design, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's exactly it. Um, it it's kind of funny because uh, that design actually has a bit of uh, history uh, around it. So a woman actually designed the uh, creature from the Black Lagoon, and there's a book about it that's recently come out. Um, there are a whole bunch of people that uh, claimed that, but uh, in the end, it came down to Millicent Patrick name uh she was the one that created the creature from the black lagoon and i think it was her uh rendition of what his head would eventually become because they had all sorts of eely looking things and you know overly fishy looking things things that didn't work things that didn't look right as it were and she really nailed that concept you know it's just the right amount of anthropomorphized monster and it's just the right amount of fishy, gilly goodness. But uh, yeah, the uh, book, I've looked it up. It's The Lady from the Black Lagoon, Hollywood Monsters and the Lost Legacy of Melissa Patrick. That's the book that uh, goes over how she designed this creature. And she went largely uncredited for her design, which is iconic now. And uh, how some fellas kind of took the credit or the spotlight from her. but. Yeah, I mean, by all means, it, it's an easy enough movie to source. It's on Amazon, it's on iTunes, all these great things. And because it came out in 1954, it is, of course, in fabulous black and white, which may put some people off, but hold the phone. Paul, where am I going with this? Because you just mentioned it before we started talking about the podcast. Yeah, something that I didn't even think about, but apparently it was originally filmed in 3D in the 50s. I it was filmed in 3D in the 50s. I, yeah. I thought I didn't think 3D came back to the 80s. So fun fact, um, 3D did start in the 50s, and it was a lot harder then because you had to have two cameras filming at just the right angles and just the right speeds, and then you had to edit that footage together. It was an incredibly laborious process, which is made only all the more impressive because they filmed a good majority of Creature from the Black Lagoon underwater and on a boat. So 
underwater in the 1950s filming poses its own challenges, especially in Florida, where you have alligators. But additionally, when they were on the boat, boats roll with the waves. They're rocking. They're mobile. It was an incredibly challenging film to shoot, but it comes off so well. So in the 1950s, when you were to watch this in 3D, you'd have those old blue and red 3D glasses. I think David Tennant and Doctor Who kind of helped with the resurgence in popularity of wearing those uh, relatively recently. But in the 1950s theaters, you would go and you would wear those. And essentially, um, one frame would be red and the other would be blue and your eyes would pick up on it. And you get that binocular vision effect, which gives you the 3D image. The gag was, was the creature would be reaching towards you or swimming towards you and the fish underwater would be swimming towards you. It was used with great effect. And it's kind of a gag that was picked up on other 3D films um, that had come earlier. I think the first one was uh, a takeoff from The Lions of Savo, which if you haven't heard of The Lions of Savo, um, that's one of the better known man-eating lion stories to come from Africa, British colonialism at its best. But two lions were responsible for allegedly killing 300 odd people and it was about this one fellow who was sent down to hunt and track them down but the gag in that movie was the lions would jump out at you whereas in creature from the black lagoon you know the creature does come out in a few scenes you know, rather unexpectedly he like erupts from the sea from not seaweed you know like the, the weeds you know and the amazon basin from which they're exploring but it's a really cool effect and they do it really well the other great thing is the clarity of the water Paul, I feel like I'm talking too much to jump in at any moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, this is your baby, really, isn't it? It is. It is kind of my baby. So when I first saw this film, um, I have my father to thank. So he said that this movie was too scary for a boy of my tender young years back in the day. So naturally, I had to watch it. I became obsessed with this film. So we didn't even rent it. We just went straight to buying it. because apparently this had scared my father in his youth and his uh his main concern his fear when he was young was that the creature would reach in through the window of his room and catch him i my room in my parents house was in a two-story you know like I, I was one story up so there wasn't really any fear of that however you know in a dark room you know your mind plays tricks on you especially when you're less than 10 years old so we watched this film and i'm not gonna lie i i kind of woke up in the middle of the night and i was like oh, that was a bit too creepy for me but i held it together until the next day and my dad was just you know long lines i'm kind of proud of you joe you watched that movie and you didn't get creeped out at all and i'm like yep yep didn't get creeped out at all dad yep held it together in uh -huh. back in my mind thinking Oh wow, that was so scary! But I've, 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 this trial by fire is done. So of course, the next films that you know he starts showing me are Jaws and Alien, things like that. And Excellent. Like, why did I just? Why did <laughs> I just let this go? Why did I just tell him? But um, after uh, King Kong and Godzilla: Creature from the Black Lagoon was my main introduction to the larger monster availability of stories and movies and all that good stuff so i like to think you know i had really solid entry into uh creatures so the other thing that i'll say about this uh paul said i spent too much time justifying this uh film earlier you know why why you know would i want to talk about this kaiju podcast and I'll, i will defend it with saying kaiju is a strange beast this is a strange beast it is a man in a quote-unquote rubber suit, and it's a great science fiction film. So I'm going to justify it. And Paul, I'm also going to let you explain the plot as the uh, newest viewer of this classic film that I love so much. <laughs> okay, uh, let me see how well I remember it. Basically, there is a, it's an expedition, isn't it, in the Amazon that um, mm -hmm. these guys are on. And they're, they're not, are they searching for something under the water? Or are they, they searching for something on land? 
but the creature's obviously underwater. Well, so a lot of the doctors, the scientists that are there, are ichthyologists, and they're studying lungfish and the like. And then there's like a side group of scientists that are paleontologists looking at fossils. And the two groups kind of converge because they're old buddies and stuff like that. And they end up going on this scientific expedition because a cool fossil is found. And they're all like, oh, that's kind of neat. Can I tag along? And that's where the story gets started. Back to you, Paul. <laughs> yeah. So, um, as I said, they they found a, a fossil. They're curious. So they go to the heart of the Amazon, some uncharted territory to see what's about. And while they're there, the Gilman, that's what he's referred to, isn't it? He doesn't have an actual name. Gilman, yeah, that's that's what he's just kind of been coined ever since, yeah. 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 So he's um you don't really see it, but you you see his his point of view. So he's watching these people and um what they're up to, just like any other I suppose kind of monster or horror film you kind of seeing that he's he's just there watching and they don't see him but mm-hmm. he's he is there um and he sneaks up to uh is he sneaks up onto the boat and grabs the woman is that later on i think that's later on but uh you you've kind of made me think about this for it's really cool oh good you know i don't want to diverge too much from the plot but you've uh You've made me realize that they don't show a lot of him in the beginning of the movie, do, do they? They just no. kind of give you like briefest glimpses of bits of him. And that's good. That's what we like. They really, oh, they really, yeah, yeah, they don't just let it go, you know, just all this stuff. So they let you see a little bit of him. Um, he doesn't get along very well with the porters or the guides of the paleontological uh, expedition. And then. He kind of has a thing for Julie Adams, who in the film is Kay Lawrence, and she's a beautiful, um, intelligent young woman. And the creature, uh, seeing her swimming in the water, I think he there's just part of it that he's lonely and he's looking for something. And you know, like, oh, this is a similar species, so he he moves to interact with her. One of the really interesting things about this film and the plot really hits this home is that he is a very powerful and in and he is capable of being very malevolent and yet he only reacts he is never the aggressor is he paul no i mean he's just he's just a creature isn't he he's not yeah he's not out to harm anyone in particular no he's not he he's he is passive until provoked um the first instance we see of him, he's just wandering towards a tent that's a light source, which I suppose if you had reasonable intelligence as a creature, you know, in the middle of the Amazon, which is normally very dark at night, I'm assuming, he's just walking towards the tent and nothing's happening. You know, he's, he reaches in there, he kind of grunts a little bit. And of course, orders are a bit shocked at what they see, so they throw a gas lamp at him, which really doesn't help matters, and it really <laughs> exacerbates the situation, which doesn't end well for the porters. Like one tries to come at him with a machete, and that ends terribly. Um, another time in the uh, film, it, it's mentioned quite blatantly, um, David Reed, who is our handsome, you know, what do you want to say? He's our handsome, well-thought, well-spoken, conscientious scientist, and uh, Richard Carlson plays him. He's speaking to Richard Denning, who plays the also very handsome, well-thought, you know, eloquently speaking, uh, ichthyologist, Mr. Mark Williams. And Mark is one of those scientists where he likes to catch specimens things and gets money david reed is kind of the opposite he would rather study watch things in the wild and live and let be so when they initially are just swimming around in the creature's home so to speak the black lagoon it it's just a normal lagoon as far as they know it's just a beautiful place so david is taking pictures and they're looking for rocks at the bottom for soil samples boring paleontology stuff as most people would call it and the creature jumps out and 
David, you know, is trying to take pictures of him and Mark is trying to shoot him with a spear gun. So we have two very different mentalities on how to handle the creature, but the creature, you know, he's just swimming along. He doesn't jump out and try and kill them or anything. He's, doesn't react until he is shot with a spear gun. And at that point, you know, it's just even when he encounters cast members later on in the movie, he isn't really after them. He doesn't go for them. His first response is always go to the water, leave him alone, just back off. But he does, he does pursue K to some degree because it's the 1950s and we're assuming he's a male creature after the beautiful young woman. <laughs> I guess there's no other way to say it, but I'll ask you this, Paul, uh, Julie Adams, Kay Lawrence, she's not just another screaming heroine, is she? No, no. Which I suppose, is that surprising that I suppose for a film of that age, she is um, one of the main characters and yeah, she's not just there for the look. She is a smart woman, which is Nice to see him film. I'm not saying you used to see back then. Yeah, she has a doctorate. She is intelligent. She comes off being right most of the time. Actually, I don't think that she's ever, you know, like any of her remarks are ever proven wrong. So again, you know, I did in one of our earlier podcasts, I brought up the abominable snowman and yeah. the woman was the voice of reason and the guys went off and did their own thing. And it's ultimately the woman who's proven correct. Even in an older film, you know, is this a voice of reason? You just should have left this alone, guys. This isn't a very intelligent thing that you're about to do. Well, I suppose that's quite interesting then, actually. That, but go ahead, sorry. Well, no, I was going to say that. Um, I was say the woman, it, the creature design, was by the lady who mm-hmm. got snubbed, pretty much. Yeah. Where where men took credit, and yet the film features a heroine who you know gets the credit. So that's <laughs> so that's a bit of an interesting. Why would they do that? Yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting. Um, so this film, uh, how should I say? Well, I've kind of hijacked your plot a bit again, but uh, it doesn't necessarily end well for the Creech. He uh, he tries to make off with Julie Adams, who is Kay Lawrence, and her fiance, Doctor David Reed, uh, doesn't really appreciate this. She is literally carried off by the creature, and he goes to rescue her. Um, the creature ends up being shot several times and uh, David, the character David, he uh, ultimately stops the shooting and just says, no, 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 just let him go. Just let him go. At which point the creature just walks past the guys with guns and he just goes back into the water and he seemingly just floats, drifts down to the bottom of the lagoon and he's presumed dead at this point. So that's the ending of the movie. And that's kind of the ending of the plot. You know, they go there for a paleontological expedition. They run into the porters that they had left to kind of mine the camp, find out that something's going on. They look for the rest of whatever remains. They end up at the Black Lagoon. And stuff happens. And ultimately it climaxes with the creature versus David Reed. Two guys, I mean, like the creature doesn't really want to kill anybody. David doesn't want to kill the creature, but they have, but David has to make a decision to save his fiance. And I think he makes the right decision there. And then so the creature goes off, presumably mortally wounded. And we will leave that uh, for our break time and we will come back and we will discuss the characters in more depth. Hey everyone, this is Greg from Red Shirts and Runabouts. We're the resident Star Trek podcast as part of the Heroes Podcast Network group. If you love Star Trek and things science fiction, we're definitely the show for you. Join us every Thursday as we talk about Star Trek Discovery, the new Picard show, and other ongoing content and new creations from the Star Trek universe. If you want to find us, search Red Shirts and Runabouts podcast on Apple and Google Play. And if you want to interact with us as a host, you can find us at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter. And we're back. And I have totally hijacked this podcast because I absolutely love this film. Of course, Paul absolutely loved Trevor in her earlier podcast. So Exactly. It's your turn now, Joe, isn't it? Yeah. It's sweet revenge. I, I wonder what Alex is going to subject us to here. But anyways, I wanted to go into the characters of this film. Paul, who is your favorite character? 
can I say the creature? <laughs> he's he's definitely a prominent character. Yeah, he is. He's yeah. the main character, and he's by all means definitely the most interesting. At least in, in my head, he's the most interesting character. Yeah, because we we because um, it starts off where um, we're seeing through his eyes, and he looks quite sinister because it looks like he's you know approaching these people. Um, as the film goes on, we realise he's just a creature. He's he's curious. Uh, he's especially curious about the female of the species who's swimming in his lagoon. That's understandable. Mm-hmm. And then after he's attacked, rather than just going away like a creature might do, he's really intelligent. And he shows that by... He kind of like does it almost like a trap, doesn't he? He blocks um, their exit out of the lagoon to make them go underwater because he's blocked it with logs. So they have to go underwater to free it where he's in his element and he can get them. And I just thought that was just fantastic. So I think it's a, just a really great range for a creature to have in a film yeah considering the range of that mask's facial expressions you know they they really do a good job giving him personality i should uh mention that ben chapman um was the gill man for all the land scenes and rico browning was the underwater gill man so rico browning is actually our impressive bloke who uh shot all the underwater scenes and this was in the springs in florida and so the water's very cold i mean i I made a quip earlier about alligators being there in florida how many alligators are in these cold springs i can only guess i wouldn't imagine there are too many but uh he was a great underwater uh stuntman and creature from the black lagoon revenge of the creature and the creature walks among us spoilers the creature lives um he uh he's he's done an amazing job and he uh you know here's a fun fact where he also co-created flipper for anybody who remembers flipper <laughs> <I> remember flipper <laughs> yeah there you go but um anyways he was just an amazing you know like he he was the man on the water but uh he gave a lot i think that it's his performance under the water that really gives the creature his personality because that's his natural element on land you know the creature just kind of walks forward with his arms outstretched and he's just kind of gasping for air like a fish would he does that fish mouth thing but he's just walking towards you and it's kind of like the frankenstein walk really Uh, he's stiff because you know he's on land and he's just coming towards you but in the water he's graceful and when he's mirroring Kay Lawrence, Julie Adams, under the water, swimming in like that, uh, in that scene when they first arrive at the Black Lagoon, you know, it really just kind of shows that he's not so much aggressive as he is just lonely and curious. I think it's that tragic air that they give to the character that makes him really interesting. Did you say? Absolutely, yeah. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my favorite character. Go on. Lucas, I love Lucas. He's the captain of the uh, Rita, which is the boat they're all staying on. Okay. Paul, did you like Lucas? Which I'm just trying to think. Who who played him? Um, Nestor Pavia, if I'm pronouncing his right. Uh, I I don't think that he <laughs> went on to do too many roles. Um, but Lucas, uh, he he's just he's a character in every sense of the word. He comes off as a bit of a comedian, um, you know, or at least he thinks he's funny. And he's a lot of the lightheartedness that occurs in this film, although he's a captain, a a knowledgeable captain and a competent captain. At no point does he ever do anything stupid or irresponsible. He knows what he's doing, and he just happens to have a rather chipper personality. But what's really great is that clashes a lot with uh, the stuck-up scientist that David is contending with. That's Mark Williams, who Richard Denning plays. And Lucas and him clash a number of times because Mark will give Lucas orders and Lucas will just say, on the water, the captain gives the orders, sir. Or, you know, Mark wants to argue with him or, you know, like, because Mark's a rather imposing uh, human specimen. He's a tall, strong, blonde-haired fella. And Lucas is kind of like this short, a bit chubby, laid-back fella. 
think Mark was, you know, at one point Mark's going to have a bit of a tussle with him and Lucas is just like, Oh, Oh really? And you never see Lucas get like this big knife out from uh, his pocket and just kind of just slowly raised up against Mark's chin. It's like, do you want to say anything more? Are we finished here? You know, Mark's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I think we're done. I think we're done. We'll do it your way. Okay. But I, I really enjoyed Lucas, but more than just the character, I think that Lucas added quite a few things because Lucas, like I said, is there a lot for comedic effect, but also he can turn deadly serious in these in this film. Um, he gets very serious. And when Lucas gets serious, he really commands the scene because you're just, hey ho, this guy's, you know, we're, I'm used to him laughing. I'm used to him, you know, cracking a joke or whatever. But when he goes serious, it, it really just changes the whole tone of a scene. And some of my favorite scenes are just, you know, him and speaking about the lore of the creature. There isn't any incredible backstory to the creature that's given in this film. They just happen to find a fossil, and it just so happens that one of the things that would have provided a, such a fossil is still alive. But Lucas goes on to say at one point in the film, it's just like, you know, I've heard legends in the Amazon of the man fish. And, you know, it's, it's just an interesting backstory that lets us know that the creature or creatures have been in the Amazon for a while. The local populace does kind of know about them. And then even the quip he makes earlier in the movie, it's just like, ah, oh, my boys call it the Black Lagoon, the paradise. Only nobody's ever returned to prove it. <laughs> and when they get there, it is yes. when they get there, it is gorgeous, isn't it? But absolutely. Yes. Yeah, it's it's also place. it's kind of for it's foreshadowing what's about to happen because he makes that quip, you know, just, you know, he thinks it's a joke at the time. But then he comes to realize there's a reason nobody came back. But I like Lucas. I think he does a great job. The other person that I really like is Carl Maia, who is played by Antonio Moreno. And Carl's the old scientist. He's he's the guy that, you know, the lovable old fella that initially found the fossil and he was just looking for fossils. He is no part wanting any of this danger. He doesn't want anybody to get hurt. He's kind of like if you drug your grandpa, you know, on a dangerous scientific expedition. He is a very much a voice of reason. He wants to get out. He's supportive. He's just trying to be nice and do the right thing. You know, he's not making waves, but, you know, unfortunately things happen. But he's right there in the action when he needs to be, you know, carrying a rifle and all that good stuff. I like him, too. Okay, so Carl's quite chilled. Yeah, yeah, Carl's pretty chilled. And Lucas seems reasonably chilled. Lucas is in charge. Mark is. And will turn if need Luke, be. Lucas is the captain. Yeah, okay. Mark's the asshole. That, <laughs> but that's, so yeah, who's the guy that's, that's attacking this creature? Because the rest sound like they're actually... Perhaps they're scared of it, but they're not necessarily there to hunt it like this other guy is. If it wasn't for Mark, this could have gone down very amicably. He is the asshole in the film. He is okay. the guy that goes after <laughs> the creature every chance he gets. And at one point, David Reed, again, Richard Carlson, just tells him to stay on the boat. You've done enough. And they get into a fistfight over it, which Dave wins. And Mark, you know, you think you just leave, you leave him sulking there on the boat. And David's trying to, you know, get free all the debris, which you pointed out earlier. Uh, the creature kind of blocked their exit from the... If your friends haven't told you, McDonald's Spicy Chicken McNuggets are back. The ones made with spicy tempura and aged cayenne. But before you go telling friends, make sure you get them first. Order ahead on the McDonald's app. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. For a limited time at participating McDonald's. It's a new year, which means new reasons to stop by QT, like drinks to wash out the taste of last year. I need more. And fresh snackles worth breaking a resolution. Pizza has tomatoes, so technically, it's a salad. Want to binge a new show? We've got plenty to snack along with it, like our new cheesy mac and cheese. Wow, it's like my wife's, but even cheddar up top. This is the time for new beginnings, and it starts at Quick Trip. QT, more than a gas station. Black Lagoon to keep them there. So David's trying to get rid of all this stuff. And uh, the creature's coming up. Looks like the creature's got him dead to rights. I mean, they've riled the creature up sufficiently as to make him hostile towards them now. But you see a, uh, a spear whiz past, and you realize that Mark's in the water. And Mark has now jumped into the fray. The creature, which, you know, can see David's not doing anything, but he probably is of the opinion, you know, it's like, you, 
I don't like you. The other ones I was messing with, but I don't like you. So he and Mark have uh, their tussle under the water, and it ends poorly for Mark. I'm gonna, I'm going to say that it ends quite poorly. To give you an idea of how powerful the creature is, um, I'm not going to say that the Rita is a particularly impressive looking vessel. It, it's a fish boat, but uh, it does have a wench, and it, it is of sufficient size, wouldn't you say, Paul? It's not an exactly a small boat. It's not small. I mean, it's, it, the creature... It's going down the Amazon. It can't be too big. Yeah, it's not huge, but it's not small by any means. But the creature is large enough, or not large enough, but strong enough to swim against the wench and break the net, which is a pretty robust rope net, uh, which that's very strong. And then... The other thing is it's it's strong enough while swimming against the uh, winch in this net, it's strong enough to actually pull the Rita along, isn't it, Paul? Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's strong. There's no doubt about that, especially underwater. This is one of those things, too. So I've gotten onto how strong he is. Um, I think a lot of Universal fans never got to have the catharsis of seeing the creature interact with any of the other universal monsters. We have Dracula versus the Wolfman, the Planet Costello meet Frankenstein, in which you can see the Wolfman versus, uh, what is it? The You get to see him versus Dracula. You get to see, you know, Frankenstein do all sorts of stuff. But you never see the creature from the Black Lagoon enter in any of those frays. And I've, I've talked to a couple of other universal fans, and we all seem pretty much of the opinion that the creature could take the wolfman quite easily. <laughs> you you couldn't necessarily kill the wolfman because you need a silver bullet or something of the like in order to take him out. But the creature versus Frankenstein seems to be the one that, you know, ooh, ooh, I don't know about that. And Frankenstein's monster, I called it Frankenstein, or that's not, but Frankenstein's monster, you know, that, that fella is pretty strong. And it's just, you know, could the creature take him? Of course, Dracula could control all three of them, so it's no real point in you know arguing that. But uh, that's one of those fun things when you get into like these kaiju fights, these uh, men in rubber suit fights. But it's fun. Paul, I don't know if you necessarily have much of a say in it, but who would you peg as the winner of a fight between the creature from the Black Lagoon and say Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster? Well. I would have thought Frankenstein, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> but who knows? I mean, as, as we've said, he doesn't look particularly strong, does he, this creature from the Bat Lagoon? But if he's powerful enough to like pull a boat along, he's got, to, he's got to be pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty good. So there are two sequels to this movie. And to be perfectly honest, only the direct sequel, which... Uh, is the revenge of the creatures worth anything? Paul, have you managed to watch this one yet? I, I haven't watched um, either of the sequels. I think I saw the trailers. They're included on the Blu-ray. Ah, cool. So, in Revenge of the Creature, spoilers again, the creature lives, um, we go back to the Amazon, and Lucas is back on a boat called the Rita 2, which kind of gives you an idea of how much, you know, real serious thought went into the screenplay um and people have decided you know what we're gonna go back and we're gonna hunt this thing down whether or not they even know that it's still alive so what they do they go down to the black lagoon lucas shows them where and they just throw dynamite into the water and there we go so the creature floats up comatose and they decide to take him to kind of like a sea world-esque place in florida and just display him to the public and let doctors and whoever research him. This film, it's an interesting idea. We're going to capture this thing and we're going to bring it back for study. Um, that's an interesting plot point. The film is executed marginally well. I mean, there's some interesting bits with seeing how intelligent the creature is, how he reacts to certain things. He's in a captive environment, so we get to see a lot of him just interacting with the stuff in the in the aquarium but uh the film's also kind of famous for one other thing there's a uh young actor in it it was his first gig actually and the fellow went on uh to do uh, such films as the good the bad and the ugly you know he's been a director and his name is clint eastwood it was clint eastwood's first role in a film 
basically he's just a lab tech he does he has a few lines of dialogue about a missing mouse and that's it but he in revenge of the creature that was his first gig that's pretty cool um it's watch yeah it's watchable it's pretty good um i can't say that it's necessarily the best film by any means it in no way uh lives up to its predecessor i don't think any of really of any of the universal monster movies do with the exception of abbott and costello meet frankenstein which is amazing but the third film um it, it really does have a pretty poor plot oh it's like trembles all over again it, well it, it's pretty poor plot and pretty <laughs> poor execution but the idea but the idea is interesting at least um so the third one is mostly stock footage um the second one no stock footage it's reasonably good decent effects de- and there's even some marginally good scientific stuff in there of course we're treating animals very poorly but you know so there's some interesting you know psychological behavior st- behavioral study stuff going on there at least for what was allowed at the time but the third one is basically revolving all around the creature's psychology um spoiler he lives in the second one too uh the third one we have an arguing husband and wife the husband's quite abusive towards the wife actually we've we've gone quite downhill from Kay lawrence in the first film to the uh actress in the third film she's just an abused house abused uh, housewife and it goes back to this principle that the creature reacts very aggressively to aggression um they've captured him once again unfortunately this time he was horribly burned but they find out that he has lungs similar to a lungs a lungfish so what they do is they kind of give him a bit of a tracheotomy and once those lungs open up and start working again he kind of metamorphizes changes a bit in his bodily structure you know to more of a land-based um being so a lot of his webbing goes away a lot of his scales go away it's a different costume basically what they've done is they've took a a big old boy a big unit you know put kind of like a a so-so creature from the black lagoon mask on him kind of so-so creature hands and the rest of him is just kind of like in this tarpy lame looking t-shirt and t-shirt and uh pants and they just have them hanging out with some sheep most of the time and as this drama between this abusive man and his poor uh female lover uh goes on you know the creature seems more and more of this violence and ultimately it offs that guy quite brutally and then runs off and it runs off towards the ocean but because he's had his tracheotomy his gills aren't going to work and he is presumably he just heads back to the ocean to drown and that's where they left it and it was quite of a sad state of affairs that film i can't say i recommend it too much second one like i said is watchable it sounds awful just <laughs> it, it is pretty awful I, I i watched it because i wanted to see it I'm of course pre-internet when i saw it and i saw that and i was and i was just like what a lame way to kill him. What a lame way to kill him. You've had him locked up with sheep for most of this movie in the worst fashion. And he's just become pretty much nothing. In the second one, he is a force to reckon with. Don't get me wrong. And in the second one, again, he's found a female, you know, fixation, which I don't think that they necessarily handled that so well in the second one. Like, why is he fixating on this woman? You know, like, why? where does that come from you've done all these other psychological studies wouldn't it be curious like why has he got a thing for human women i mean if he was lonely maybe he would just tolerate you know like the male guys in there you know like maybe there'd be some interaction of course those are the guys that are literally shocking him get him to do stuff but it is what it is um so with that um we're going to take a break and we're going to come back we're going to talk about pop culture the creature and later appearances Stay tuned, folks. Attention everyone in the galaxy. This is Ian and Chris from Echo Station Podcast. We are stranded here on Hoth and we need your help desperately. It's imperative that everyone listen to our message. The Empire is closing in with every intention to shut us and our message down. Make sure to follow us at Echo Station Cast on the Twitter sphere and listen to us every other Monday for all your up-to-date Star Wars news and needs. You can't stop the signal, Mal. Wrong smuggler! Uh, uh, uh. 
cut! And we're back to Joe's favorite film. Listen to me rant about the creature from the Black Lagoon while Paul is just sat there in the sidelines, just tearing out his hair because he wants to say something. I feel quite bad about it. <laughs> Paul? Hi, I'm still here. How you doing, mate? Just let everyone know. <laughs> yeah, poor Paul. Oh, gosh. See, Alex would have cut me off by now. Normally, I can, random for, I can ramble for a while and waffle on, but since this is one of my favorite films... So I mentioned that the creature's shown up in other pop culture references and other films, and um, you perked up about that, Paul. I did because um, I wanna take a stab at what. Yeah, yeah, take a stab at what ones you think I'm going to talk about, or what we can talk about. Uh, is it was it a something that was on around the film release, or is it something more recent? Because I know he appeared in Albert and Costello, didn't he? Yeah, he he was in Albert and Costello bit. Um, Evan Costello meet the creature. That wasn't necess- That was kind of like a five-minute bit on a television show. It was. It was kind of like a precursor to Johnny Carson or something like that. It was for those talk shows, Universal was kind of promoting it at the time. Okay, so that's just a, a tie-in, was it? Basically, yeah, kind of. Yeah, um, they'd already done some stuff. You know, Evan Costello meet the Mummy, which is not as good as Evan Costello meet Frankenstein. Of course, I just said Evan Costello meet Frankenstein. I really do recommend that one. Um, and then, uh, did you ever hear, is the Munsters a big thing over here in the UK? Do you guys know of the Munsters? I, yeah, I know of the Munsters. I I haven't, I don't think I've actually seen it, but I know of it. Okay, so, for those of you who don't know, um, the Munsters is a sitcom about a family. The husband, Herman Munster, is Frankenstein's monster. His wife is some kind of dracula-esque you know female person she kind of looks like elvira if you know who elvira is Uh, or morticia adams you know very similar vibe going there their son is normal but he's also kind of a werewolf um they have a bunch there's grandpa who's there grandpa is definitely a vampire he is very much the dracula um you know there's just a whole family there but uh they actually have a dragon that lives underneath their uh, cellar too, but it's just funny. It's just them getting along with normal life. If I've missed any characters, forgive me. But um, the reason I'm mentioning this is the Gilman does make an appearance. He is Uncle Gilbert. Paul, he comes in as Uncle Gilbert. Oh wow, I love that Uncle Gilbert. Yeah, they got pretty much hmm. uh, every other Universal monster in there. So what they did is they dressed him up. You know, it's funny. He's wearing like a cardigan and stuff, and you know, it's just so ridiculous but uncle gilbert makes an appearance so those are two older appearances but the two i want to call out are the monster squad which is uh, a little bit older film now but again it centers around the universal monsters and it's kind of like the goonies meet the universal monsters and the creature designs were done by the stan winston studio um which that studio also produced Jurassic Park, you know, Terminator designs, all that other great stuff. So they, they kind of revamped the monsters a little bit, and the Gilman got an overhaul in there. And his design is really striking. It's absolutely fantastic. If anything, it looks a little bit more fishy and a little less human, but uh, the Monster Squad is great fun. I highly recommend it to anybody who loves kind of 80s films, schlock, you know, um, just goofy antics like if you like the goonies and you're a fan of kaiju and horror films you will love the monster squad and you should know about it by now and the other film is that you know has recently come out it's shape of water and that obviously heavily draws on creature from the black lagoon paul you've seen that movie what do you think i have seen the shape of water yeah i mean i was actually reading that um Del Toro loved that as a child, Creature of the Lagoon, and um, he kind of wanted to see the um, the romance between the creature and the lady succeed, and that's kind of what inspired him to do The Shape of Water, which was an Oscar-winning kaiju film. So, yeah, it's a bit weird, but I did really enjoy it. It's strange seeing Creature of the Lagoon and then seeing that, because it felt like I am watching <laughs> the same creature. Yeah, so... I, in my mind, what I, I would just totally throw out the second and third Creature from the Black Lagoon movies 
and I I would consider it a sequel to the original because it isn't in name, and you know you can art you can argue with people you can argue with Del Toro if you want I, I don't think he outright went to make a sequel but it could be a sequel to the original film because that creature does come from the Amazon it is a gill man I mean the design is so similar um in every way in every easter egg that they throw in there that you could think that creature could very well have been the gill man from 1954 and it's even kind of along the lines of the right time period to have a sequel and in my mind that's his happy ending like he found his love you know he isn't going to be lonely anymore he's learned to stay away from humans so he's just going to go back but if you haven't seen the shape of water essentially it is about a mute um janitor and her friend they work at this government facility where all sorts of secrets are being kept one day um they find out through you know their own little means that uh there's a creature there and the creature you know it's very much like our boy creature from black lagoon and the woman she's very sympathetic towards the creature obviously they're torturing it trying to find out all sorts of stuff about it how it ticks how it works how it breathes underwater there's a very abusive person who's uh looking after it what's his name paul he he played general zod in man of steel do you know oh did he i didn't know that um i can't tell you oh i'm gonna think of his name in two seconds oh who was he I do remember him yeah. being a horrible guy. Yeah, he is a horrible guy. He's he did all sorts of terrible things. And uh, Michael Shannon, that's his name. So Michael Shannon, basically, all the good people in the film kind of conspire to release it. In the meantime, and this is where it gets a bit weird, he falls in love with Sally Hawkins, who is the mute person who's the janitor. And I'm terribly sorry, Sally Hawkins, if you listen to this, you are a fantastic actress. But I know you because you were in a Godzilla film. But yeah, so basically she saves him and all sorts of stuff happens. But it's it's a great ride. It's a fantastically acted piece. The set designs, the creature designs, they're all amazing. And in my mind, this is probably the one film that could live up to the original creature from Black Moon, which is why I would consider it a sequel in my mind. Like if you didn't like what happened to the creature in the original film, watch this. You, all, all the plot points and all the things seem to be put right. <laughs> what did you like about the film? I think that the creature has a happy ending, as sad as that may seem. It's it's nice that he doesn't get... He does get, obviously get brutally tortured throughout the film in the sake of science, uh, which is horrible, mm-hmm. but he, he escapes, he finds love, he gets laid, um, he gets his revenge... And goes off with the the woman he loves, which doesn't really happen very often for creatures. Yeah, and I think as we kind of close this together, you know, like that really does. It's really interesting in comparison to the plot of the original. So, the creature just comes out. He's curious. He's tormented by scientists, and all he wants and all he wants to do is like more or less, more or less meet them to understand. And he's. He reacts and he's brought to the point of death and he doesn't have a happy ending. He doesn't find love. He's still been tortured. He's still grievously wounded. But it, it's quite an opposite to what The Shape of Water gave, which was a happy ending. But I think the one thing you know that we can take away from the plot of The Creature from Black Lagoon and where it comes from is it's an intelligent monster or a creature. It's, it's sympathetic. It, it, it reacts violently towards violence which i think to a degree is a great parallel to how human beings are it's just he's a lot stronger and a lot scarier looking so that's what makes him a monster where in in reality you know it's the people that are doing the monstrous things like they've come down you know they've gunned for him they've made him miserable but when he reacts he's the monster not the aggressors but yeah it's interesting and with that, I think we're going to start to tie this up, Paul. What do you think? Well, I just want to know. Uh, sure. Is he is he the only one? 
that we know of. Right. So um, there have been a couple tie-in things to better or worse effect. There was a, I guess you could call it a tie-in novel called Time's Black Lagoon. And it was pretty terrible, to be perfectly honest. I read it, and I normally <laughs> okay. collect a lot of creatures in Black Lagoon memorabilia. I have the fossilized hand of the creature sitting on you my do. desk right now. Yeah. And I love that. And, I ha- and I've actually got a kit of the tadpole from the Black Lagoon on my desk, too. But I got that book. I read it. And I finished a book. I finished it. And it's just kind of my role at however terrible a book may be i need to finish it because i want to give the author you know like that level of benefit of the doubt that was it wasn't very good basically um in that novel we learned time travel using ipads not ipads even ipods which is ridiculous in its own right but the creature from black lagoon turns out to be an alien species the aliens themselves don't look like the creature from Black Lagoon. The reason the creature from Black Lagoon looks like Yeah, the reason the creature from Black Lagoon looks like he does and acts like he does is because the aliens dove too deep in the primordial oceans and they were infected with whatever earth bug, which kind of gives them like I mean, I guess it's like their zombie bug. So the creature from Black Lagoon is like these are alien fish people. And he caught their zombie virus, which is just in Earth's deep waters. Jesus. Yeah, it was pretty I thought he was going to be part of some tribe or just I didn't a... like it. No, I don't like the sound of that at all. Yeah, I mean, they did, in those tie-in novels, like, it was kind of part of a series. They had a sequel to Dracula, which was really good. And there was that one. And after I read that one, I didn't even want to give the other ones a chance. Because I was just so disgusted. Because <laughs> that's my favorite universal monster. What have you done to him? Um there's an arthur adams adaptation of the original movie which is a great comic arthur adams is a fantastic artist and you can tell that he loves both godzilla and creature from black Lagoon every time he whips something together but uh he took a few liberties in the creature's home and it shows that he's been worshipped by you know like whatever local culture was there a thousand years ago or something like that. Like there is a, his home in this cave, Arthur Adams kind of refashioned it as like a temple where they did sacrifices or they brought people to him or something along those lines. But I always thought that was interesting that he'd been there for a long time and it kind of elaborated on the lines that Lucas had, you know, like the legend of the man fish. I, I would like to think, you know, in my mind, the reason he's so lonely is he is the last one. Um, he's part of like a race that was going. I mean, in the film, you know, he's been there since the Devonian times. And, you know, like that species has been around for so long. And then it's kind of dwindled down to him. And now he is the last. And he's looking for that social aspect that at one point he may have had or had his species yearns for. And, he can't have that with humans and that's kind of like it's kind of a similar line to i am legend if you've ever read that book um the main protagonist is the last human and everybody else is a vampire and the vampires are essentially i mean like he's staked enough of them they're scared at this point even the ones that are normal and nonviolent, and they just they kill him because he's the last and that is why he is legend because he was the last human so the creature from Black Lagoon, you know, like he was the original, you know, so to speak, because he can't, he was a sentient life form, you know, like a full on humanoid in the Devonian. And he has, you know, his species has lived into a, into a time where there are others that are similar to him, but they are different and they are different in a way where they cannot coexist and he being the last one he has become legend and he is ending so it's kind of it's kind of an interesting parallel between those two stories different a lot in a lot of ways for plot but if you look at them on a broader context that's kind of what i see but i would like to think that he's the last as sad as that may be okay yeah, that is it does make it even <laughs> more sad but uh yeah yes the last of kind okay but um so that's part of the universal monsters you're saying 
So we've we've got The Mummy and Dracula and Wolfman. And all of those have had remakes, haven't they? So we've had The Mummy had a whole trilogy that did well. I'm just wondering, what happened to this one? Where's Why is there no Creature from the Black Lagoon sequel or remake? It's been in development hell, which is an actual term <laughs> oh, um, one of those. for a while now. Yeah, so Guillermo del Toro really wanted to do it. And the Creature from the Black Lagoon, actually um, the latest uh, Mummy remake, the one with Tom Cruise and Russell Crowe in it. Oh, yeah. uh, he was going to he was going to feature in the dark universe and actually there is an easter egg in the mummy where you can see his, a, a creature from the black man you can see his hand preserved in a, in a jar of spirits and it's kind of a tearjerker for me that that didn't go forward i didn't really have anything against that mummy film if anything i was willing to tolerate a lot to see a creature from the black lagoon film but supposedly <laughs> There's a lot of interest in it because of Shape of Water, because of the other things. You know, like it, it's in the higher echelons of development hell. But uh, I think I couldn't really ask for more than what we got in Shape of Water. I would love to see Universal do a Creature from the Black Lagoon movie. I would like to see more or less a scene for scene remake, or you know, like a longer version maybe of that original classic film. But did the original film? do anything wrong does it need anything more do those effects not hold up i mean i think the effects are brilliant the acting is great plot it's decent do we need to remake it is that really necessary or do we want a new vi- a new version just because we don't need yeah. to it's one of these things that you can kind of argue like disney's made these films you know like they're basically just coming out with live action remakes of all of their classic cartoon films and yeah. what you see a lot of Disney people like, yeah, I'll watch it, but did we really need this? And the creature from Black Lagoon, I think, holds up so well. I mean, what Guillermo del Toro did with Shape of Water is he kind of turned it on its head and he gave it a different plot. And it's that difference, that you know, like skewing, that made it work, that made it different enough, and yet so so similar to Creature from Black Lagoon that it worked. The Creature from Black Goon is an iconic story, an iconic monster in and of its own right. It's kind of like every time that they try and redo Dracula, like there have been so many poor adaptions, but Bram Stoker's Dracula from the early 90s is probably the best just because it didn't try and copy off of what Universal originally did with Belagozi. It just went straight to the book and tried to be as faithful to the book as possible. With The Creature from Black Lagoon, we don't have a book. It was just a movie to start with. I think it's just one of those classic movies like, say, Casablanca or whatever. Like, You don't need to remake this because if you remake it, it will not be as good as the original. How many King Kongs have we had at this point? King Kong's a classic film. It's amazing. But do any of the films that come after that are remakes of it, even with their latest effects, do they still capture that same magic? And that would be my main concern with Creature from the Black Lagoon. You shouldn't ask for that because I prefer the newer King Kong films. Well... I but, guess I've said in other podcasts, each their own. Yeah, it's each their own. But you know, when you love something enough, like I love this film, I wouldn't necessarily want it changed because would that affect how I see the original, or would that taint, you know, like kind of like the legacy or what's happened? I don't think it's going to take the legacy based after what you said about the third film. No, no, yeah, that was that was absolutely terrible, and you know, of course, that novel that came out, Times Black Lagoon. Like, if you want to find out. Oh, I had to give it away in the end. I would welcome a reimagining yeah. then. It, it would it would need a reimagining. It would need something, but you know, I, I, you would just want it done justice because it is a good film, is it not? I think it holds up really well. Well, let's face it. I mean, so I saw this for the first time last year, and this is a film from 1954. It's black and white, and you were just saying, "No, go and see it. It's great. It's great." And I'm like, oh, "Do I do I really want to see this?" over 50 year old film and then i watched it and i was like wow this is really good so yes it does hold up on all levels and anyone who hasn't seen it should see it um but there's no reason why we couldn't have a more modern take on it a slightly different take on it yeah and if anything that will just perk people's interests so we'll do an if nothing else to close this episode off so paul if nothing else if nothing else 
I am going to say, if you have Netflix, go and watch Love, Death Plus Robots. Um, have you seen that, Joe? Pardon? The Love, Death and Robots series. There's, I think there's like 17 episodes of um, 10 to 15 minute shorts. And some of them have some really awesome kind yeah, of... But I'm a... I know, but I'm going to call you out on that, Paul. You've used that one before. Come on, man. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> you used that one at GMK. We've talked about it a lot. Oh, we have? Oh, okay. Did I? Well, I think you might have to. I don't remember that. Oh, dear, Paul. <laughs> I might have to go back, but I don't remember saying that one before. So, for my, if nothing else, I'm going to give you all the exact same uh, spiel that I gave Paul. Watch Creature from the Black Lagoon. It is a classic film. It holds up. Everything was done very well. It is a guy in a fish costume. But the way it's acted and the way it's brought together, it, it elevates it above the sum of its parts. And it's just very well done, and you can see why it's iconic. 50s, black and white or not. And if you can, see it in 3D because it is really fantastic seeing the creature from the Black Lagoon swim towards you. With that, I will end our episode and I bid you farewell. Keep it kaiju, folks. Thanks for listening. Kaiju Curry House is part of the Heroes Podcast Network and produced by UK Kaiju with music by Flying Killer Robots. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe at heroespodcast.com or on the various podcast services such as Apple iTunes, Google Play, or just about any podcast app. If you want to get involved with the show, please tweet us at UKKaiju and check out UKKaiju.com for the latest news, events and kaiju thoughts from all of us. Thanks for listening. Ah, oh, crap! I forgot to say that King Kong vs. Godzilla totally ripped off the soundtrack from The Creature from the Black Lagoon. When are we going to get time to say that? Just waffled on for an hour. If your friends haven't told you, McDonald's Spicy Chicken McNuggets are back. The ones made with spicy tempura and aged cayenne. But before you go telling friends, make sure you get them first. Order ahead on the McDonald's app. For a limited time at participating McDonald's. Call 1-888-FARMERS to switch and you could save an average of $470 on your auto insurance. That's a lot of money in just a few minutes. With savings like that, you could be lounging on an impractical amount of ornate and overpriced throw pillows you bought for your couch. But you won't, because you're better with money than that. That's why you're calling us in the first place. Call 1-888-FARMERS to get a quote today. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Based on average nationwide annual savings survey data July to December 2020. Underwritten by Farmers, Trucker, Fire Insurance, Exchanges, or Affiliate. Products not available in every state.